Well, good morning again and, um, and, and happy new year. It's again a unique Sunday back to back where we are having uh, our church gathering on a, on a holiday. And um, though today is going to be just as long as yesterday was, um, it's a day of, of energy. It's a day of reset, of refreshing and uh, it's a day for us to compare, maybe consider what we would have maybe changed about last year, maybe apply it to this year. It's a day of, of vision. And our church is going to do this uh, for the next couple of weeks. We're going to have opportunity to cast a little bit of what we want to call biblical vision for CVBC. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get back into our, our long-term study of, of 1 Corinthians. But for four weeks, we're going to be preaching on what's our purpose is as a local church here in Chippewa Falls and what our values and priorities are. So we're going to call this, you know, our church, what CVBC is all about. So I want to ask you to really make it a priority if you can be to be here the next four weeks. And if you can't, please listen to these sermons. But we're going to be preaching from Scripture, from a passage, right? We're still going to be preaching, but we're going to be looking uniquely at what we think the Lord is leading our church in the direction it wants to go. So we're praying that this will be a sermon series that's helpful to chart maybe the chorus in the future of what CVBC is. So I want to imagine yourself um, in the summer, of course, um, at Lake Wissota. Okay, I know some of you are crazy, you love it during the winter too, but let's imagine you're out on a boat in beautiful Lake Wissota in summertime. And I, and I tell you, hey, hey, get on the boat and, and meet me. And then I walk away. Now, the lake is not the size of an ocean. However, how are you going to find me? Get in your boat and go find me. Well, you have to start driving and looking for me, and that does not make me a very helpful friend. So what I do instead, then, is I give you a map. So I use this map and find me. Well, that's still not that helpful, because I have not marked on the map where I am. Maybe the map will help a little bit to know where not to go, show you the, maybe the, the boundaries of the water, but it's not specific. Instead, what would be the most helpful thing for you? Well, for me to say to you, let me get in the boat with you, show you where we're going, and we will get there together. That's what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks as a church. Now, I'm one of eight shepherds here, one, eight elders, eight pastors, and the primary metaphor for a pastor or an elder in the Bible is to be a, a shepherd of a flock, to lead the people, and we've been praying and thinking and processing, how does CVBC become even more biblical and God-glorifying and Christ-exalting and people-loving? How do we make sure what we're doing is biblical and we're applying it well? Okay, we don't need some business plan or some marketing scheme, okay, but we do as leaders, as shepherds, need to cast a vision and go with us there. We, this is the month right here where we are going to be shepherding our church in a direction, and we're going to ask you, hey, let's get in the boat, let's hold the map, and let's, let's get there together. Um, and we believe what we'll be preaching these next couple of weeks, not just because we had a, you know, a good idea or a good meeting, but we've been praying together, we've been reading the Bible together, and we're going to let that rule and guide and overpower us. And we're going to use biblical language. So what we're going to be practically doing the next four weeks is looking at the Bible and saying, this is where we're going. So today I want to look at what the purpose of our church is. Why does Chippewa Valley Bible Church even exist? What is our goal? What is our mission? 
And then the next three, week, three, way, three weeks are going to be the three ways that we achieve this purpose. So I'm going to show the cards right now, okay? These are the next four weeks. Uh, none of this is really that new, by the way. If you, pick up, uh, if you don't pick up on details, it's new to you. But um, in a newsletter, we've talked about this. We have some signs up in our coffee area. So all of this is not necessarily new, but we're now going to be taking that wet cement and kind of hardening it, you know? I've always wanted to stick my hand in wet cement, by the way, so... It's a metaphor for us to do that today. But here's what I want to, I want to show you where we're going to be going the next four weeks. So just so that you know, so we get on the same page. So today we're going to talk about what the purpose of Chippewa Valley Bible Church is. And it's to love God and it's to love people. But how do we do that? We have looked at the Bible and kind of organized it into three categories. And these are what each are going to have a sermon in the next three weeks. First of all, we love God. We love people by worshiping God. Number two, by belonging to one another. And number three, by living out the gospel. By living out the gospel. So everything we do as a church should be about loving God and loving people. But again, those are huge categories. It's like saying, hey, go meet me at Lake Wissota. Be like, where, where are you on the map? How do we practically love God and love people? By fulfilling these three things, by worshiping God by belonging to one another here in this room, and by living out the gospel. That's what these three things communicate and achieve. So we're going to start using this language a little bit more. This is where our church is headed, and I pray that you jump on board with us. Uh, because not only is this for our church, but this is also for you as an individual. Maybe you're looking at these things up here and you're saying, you know, I... I love to worship God, I love to sing, I love to read my Bible, but if I'm honest with myself, my coworkers don't even know that I'm a Christian. I'm not really living out the gospel. It's not only a way for us to get on, on the same course uh, together, but it's also a way for you to have some self-evaluation maybe on this New Year's and think, am I actually fulfilling these biblical categories myself and living as a worshiper and an ambassador of Jesus. So this should excite our church, get on the same page, but also it's going to convict us at times if we don't align with what the Bible is saying. So friends, church family, whether you've been here since the founding of our church, which is almost someone here, by the way, or if you are here for the very first Sunday, welcome to Chippewa Valley Bible Church. We're here to love God and to love people. If you have a Bible, please open up to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be in verses 34 to 40. It's on page 828 of those Bibles under your chair or in the pew, 828. We'll be reading just seven verses here in Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. This is exactly where we get our church's purpose of loving God and loving people. Once you find that, would you please stand in reverence for the word of the Lord? But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, help us live out and keep your word this morning. Help us love you with everything and love others. Spirit, help us. Amen. You may be seated. If you are um, if you're taking notes this morning with one of our CVBC pens, or if you have 27 of them at home in your junk drawer, um, you'll notice that even on our pen, it says, love God, love people. Right? When you grab your coffee, you're going to see those beautiful signs out there that says, CVBC exists to love God and love people. Um, and we did not just get a good deal on those and put them up to decorate. That phrase on the pen, on your bulletin, on the signs, those are there because of this very passage in Matthew chapter 22. This is one of those big passages in the Bible that maybe you should look at and study, at least understand a summary of it, because it helps us understand and organize all of the Bible and all of the Christian life. In a very short phrase, Jesus tells us what the point of of your life is, the point of my life is, and what the point of our life as a church is together. So this is a very simple main point today. The main point is the purpose of the Christian life and the church is to love God and love people. The purpose of the Christian life and the church is to love God and love people. Now, this is very easy to find in the text. Jesus states, the greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor. Pretty, it's pretty kind of plain that you don't have to dig through the weeds and figure out the argument. Jesus clearly speaks it. But if you read through all of Matthew chapter 22, you're going to find out that there's these religious groups who don't like Jesus, okay? If they bow down to Jesus, they're going to lose all of their earthly and political power because Jesus will be wiser than them. So they begin to kind of have their academic resumes on display and they begin to interrogate Jesus as a teacher to try to trip him up. So they're asking him questions. And it's never a good idea to try to trip up Jesus. Do you know why? Because Jesus is God. But anyways, we see here that a lawyer comes to Jesus. A lawyer back then was one who was a a master of knowing all of the commands in the Old Testament. Expert in knowing every single command of the first five books of the Bible. So if you're there on the Sabbath day and um, your sheep gets caught in a thicket and you're wondering, if I go rescue my sheep, am I going to break the law of the Lord or not? You might go to one of these lawyers and ask them, right? We all need a friend like that, don't we? So this expert lawyer comes to Jesus and says, okay, Jesus, here's the question. What is the greatest commandment in the Bible? Now, this is not spoken out of curiosity. This is a trap question because if Jesus picks one commandment and doesn't pick others, they're going to say he's imbalanced. He's biased. He's trying to mess with Jesus and make him Slip because to ask Jesus which commandment is the greatest is to ask Jesus which one of the 613 commandments is your favorite. 613 commandments. Right? We struggle to pick one ice cream flavor of 30, but to pick one law or commandment from God? That's hard. But Jesus absolutely outwises this man 
in a few ways. Firstly, he doesn't pick one, he picks two. Right? If someone says, hey, what, what book should I read? Like, don't ever ask me that question. You're going to have 27 books by the time you leave my office, okay? But Jesus picks not one, but he picks two commandments. And this is him not cheating. This is him doing something else. What makes it so brilliant is that Jesus chooses two real Old Testament passages that actually summarize all 613. He picked two commandments. He picked two laws that summarize everything God said in the Old Testament of what he expected of his people, to love God and to love people. That's what all of these 613 commands in the first five books of the, of the law seek to accomplish. Love your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind is Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6.5, to love your neighbor comes from Leviticus 19.8. Jesus knew his Bible and says, these are the two greatest commandments because everything comes from them. They are the foundation. So this makes Jesus even more brilliant. His answer from the Old Testament, and yet it also summarizes the Old Testament. And it says there in verse 40, that on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Other translations say, and on the law hangs these two commandments. Right, imagine you go to the store and you, and you buy a few pictures or portraits you want to hang on your walls at home. Right? They're, they're colorful, they're beautiful, they're vibrant. But if you have no hooks or nails or anchors to put them in the wall, they are useless. The purpose of a picture is to be displayed. And if you can't display it, it's not going to serve its decorative purpose. This is what Jesus says. All of the 613 laws, if they're not hung on the nail of loving God and loving people, they are useless. Every command you read in Leviticus, every command you read in Deuteronomy, God puts there to help us love God and to love people. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 14, there's a command about giving a tithe, an offering of your grain to the Lord. Why does God give that command? Is it because God is poor and he needs an income? No, it's a practical way to love God, to recognize that that grain that's harvested comes from the hand of the Lord and it's a way to worship him. But if you tithe and give that grain without love in your heart for God, you have missed the point. It's like buying a picture to just put in a closet and never hang it. Every law, every commandment is given to love God and love people. So these are the greatest commandments because they're the summary of all the laws and also the purpose of all the laws. So we love God, we love others. And thus the purpose for when Christians gather together are to fulfill these commands. So as the church, we are called to love God and love people to take these seriously. So this should be the foundation of all Christianity and the foundation of the church. So any ground that you and I are walking on as Christians should have these two commands. They should catapult us to obey these commands. Right? This is the air we breathe as Christians. Our purpose is to love God and to love people. 
Thus, our pens and our bulletins and the wall out there is simply a reminder to catch our eyes and say, yes, that's the point. That's why I'm here. That's what I do. But let's be honest. Saying, I love God and I love people is pretty generic. It's very biblical, but it's generic because what you mean by that, what I mean by that could be two totally different things. And if we keep this general, then we can define love however we want. We can kind of keep these commands at an arm's length and think, hey, I'm doing good. I'm fulfilling them. That one time last week, I did that thing for that person. I'm loving people. I am good to go. We can feel good about how we're doing in life if everything stays general, right? But we here at CBBC, we want to love God We want to love people so personally and obediently that we are actually going to tread into the waters of specificity. Friends, the more specific we pray, guess what happens? The more we grow. If we just pray, Lord, bless us. Okay. Is that a good prayer? Yes. But what do you mean by bless? But if we pray, Lord, help us. Bless us that we may look more like your son, Jesus. Help us speak like him and think like him and feel like him. Guess what? We are praying more specifically and personally. And what happens? It becomes more effective. We need our Christianity to be personal and specific and tangible. Again, if I say to you, hey, I want you to pack your bags. We're going on a trip. And I walk away from you. You might be excited at first, but then you wonder, you know, is this, are we going skiing? In Colorado, or are we going to the beach, right? It depends and affects how you're going to pack your suitcase. The more specific and personal we make our lives, and especially our Christian life, the more real it becomes. So we're not going to say, hey, we're just here about loving God, loving people. We're going to get specific about what that looks like because the Bible gets specific. So I want to spend the last little bit of our sermon here asking a few specific questions about these two great commandments, about our great purpose. Now, again, the next couple weeks, we're going to look at each attribute, each priority of how we fulfill this. Worshiping God, belonging to one another, living out the gospel. We're going to look into specifics about how we do this as Christians, how we do it as a church. We'll get there next week. But for now, let's look at loving God and loving people and these great commands. The first question I think we should ask here is what does the Bible mean by love, right? What is love? And if you're singing, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. I have succeeded a little bit. <laughs> but if you think about it, if both commands here involve the word love, we should probably figure out what the Bible means by Love In our passage and in uh, the original place there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we note that Jesus calls us to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. So first of all, we see that love is not just for one kind of component or faculty of our life. Like we could love God with our mind, but not our heart, or I can love God with my soul, but not with my mind. That's not what he's saying. Love involves the totality of someone. Thus, he repeats three times the word all, all heart, all soul, all mind. What God is asking of us when he calls us to love him is to give us, for us to give him complete 
total devotion. Not just a head knowledge of love, but a whole being devoted to God, affections, delight, knowledge, words, actions, how we spend our time and money. All of who we are is to be fully devoted to God. Total devotion. It's not just a feeling, but it involves feelings. It's not just an action, but it involves feelings and affections. It's the totality of someone. But the other thing to know about love here is that true love for God and true love for other people requires, requires action. In regard to God, true love for God requires obedience. Think about it. God here is commanding you to love him. Did you, did you note that? He's commanding you to love him. Loving God is what? It's an a, obedient act. We often think, you know, loving God, is, it's not about rules. But in reality, loving God is a rule. It's a command. God is commanding us to display our love to him by obeying him. So we have to right away get to the point of realizing he is the king and we are his servants. His will be done, right? And God modeled this for us, right? God is not asking us to do something with love that he has not done himself, right? Love, what is love? Love is a total devotion that's displayed through action. Love is a total devotion displayed through action. And the famous verse here for this, Romans 5.8. It's a good verse to know. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You have devotion and action here. God demonstrated his already internal love by what? He demonstrated as in he put it forth in action for the entire world to see. Jesus came and died while we were sinners. God's love always results in action. God's love poured out like a, like a fountain. And what came to be? Jesus being sent to die for sinners like you and I. Christ dying is the evidence of the love of God. God doesn't just love us and keep that love private and those feelings internal and write about it in his diary that no one can see. That is not true love. True love is total devotion displayed through action. Again, think of a fountain. Think of God, right? Before creation, what was God doing? Not twiddling his thumbs, before creation, he was loving the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, loving one another, delighting in each other. And like a fountain, their love and their delight flows forth. And what happens? Creation. We are here to share in the love of of God. And what happens after creation? They send Jesus to us, and God's love was like a fountain that burst. And poured out on us, his devotion to us brought forth action. So friends, what you need to know, loving God, if you want to love God, it involves both an internal delight in him, an internal devotion and feelings for him, but it always results in external action if it's true love. Love and obedience are not enemies. Obedience flows from love. Thus the order of even these two great commandments. What do you do first? You love the Lord your God with everything, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. 
our love for God springs forth to the point where we begin to see people differently and we love them. So loving God is never a personal, private, internal decision. Love springs forth obedience. Jesus said, you will know them, my my true disciples, by their fruit. He also said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Christian, you are like a tree who produces fruit. And our obedience, our good deeds are the display or the evidence of our love for God. Love requires and love produces action and obedience. So we are called to love God with everything in us. And that like a fountain pours forth into actual obedience, like loving one's neighbor. But just to know, I think it's worth mentioning I think there are two potential dangers, maybe even in this room or in all of Christianity with the idea of love today. Two, we're going to call them two ditches, okay? So we're trying to follow Jesus on this road. There's maybe your car starts veering towards this ditch or this ditch. What are those ditches? Okay, the first ditch says, I don't need rules. I just need to love. Maybe you've seen this. Maybe you think this sometimes. When you're engaging in sin, you convince yourself, God knows I love him, but this rule, I don't like this rule. Oftentimes we might think Christianity, it's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about love. Christianity is not about rules, right? It's about a relationship. And it's kind of saying as if the external doesn't matter as long as the internal, my heart is right. And I get the sentiment, right? We don't want to be legalistic. But why do marriages have vows, And what are vows? They're proclaiming aloud the things that you are committing, the rules, the priorities, the commands of the marriage. And by keeping your vows, you are proclaiming that you love your spouse, right? In your friendships, you have rules or values, ways you speak to one another, words you don't use. You're always committing to them, right? When you break a commitment, you apologize. Why? Because you broke some internal rule. Love without rules is not true love. Jesus gives us a command, a rule, a law. We are to love him. The Bible is full of rules and commands, and they are there, why? For us to reveal our love for God. So in other words, right, love without law is not real love. That's one ditch. The other ditch says, I follow all the rules really well, and that makes me a good Christian. It's on the other side. This is the other extreme. This is for those who always are on time to church and give their money and do the right thing, but their heart, their feelings, their affections, their delights are far from God. Right? You can follow the rules externally, but without an internal heart, what is the point? To give money to God without a heart for God is vain worship. Right? We call this legalism. Love requires obedience. It does, but true obedience flows from love. So in other words, law without love is not real obedience. So loving God is a total devotion to him that's displayed through action. It's our internal heart finding so much delight in God that it pours forth into our actions like a fountain. Thus, these two commands of loving God and loving neighbor are to be together. 
you can't think, okay, this year I'm going to really focus on loving God. I'll pick up the neighbors next year. That's not how it works. And you can't say, I'm going to really love neighbor and forget God. No, what's going to happen? You're not going to love God well, and you're not going to love neighbors well. These go together for a reason. You cannot love God and hate your neighbor. And you can't truly love a neighbor without truly loving God. Our love for neighbor even makes our love for God stronger. They go together and they're our goal and our purpose. And if you call Chippewa Valley Bible Church your home, this is what we are going to be about. We are going to be so devoted to God, find him so beautiful and glorious that it's going to be evidently seen in how we live our lives together. We're going to be like this fountain that's just full of the love and beauty of God that then pours forth into actions, including how we love other people. Yes, even those people you're thinking in your head, not them. Yes, them. (laughs) Because we were those people. That's what Jesus means by love, a devotion that pours forth into action. But two more questions that are briefer. What does it mean to love God? So though these commands are so connected, they shouldn't really be considered unrelated. They are separate commands. One's in Deuteronomy, one's in Leviticus. But what does it mean to love God? To be so devoted to God that our actions spring forth. I want you to again look in your Bibles there at verse 37. I want you to look for a word here that we often look past. I'm going to emphasize it here when I read it. Verse 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God. Jesus here wants to remind you that he is yours. He is our loving, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, God. And this God is claiming us as his people. We belong to him. He's not some abstract deity in the sky. He is our Lord, present with us, loving us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die in our place. He loved us so much that instead of condemning us while we're in our sin, he makes a way to salvation. He will claim you as his. And I pray that this year we all better realize that our hearts delight in who he is and what he has done. He is our Lord. He's not distant. If you want to love God this year, to be so devoted to God, then this means that he must receive attention from you. He doesn't need your attention, but if you want love in your heart, it requires attention. Uh, Jen Wilkins said, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Your heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Will you give your brain and then as a result, your heart attention to your God this year? Do you want to feel more love and delight in your God than you need to match up your life's attentions with God, right? So, you know, be in this book, for example, or sing these songs or come attentive to church. Ask questions. Put God and who he is before the gaze of the eyes of your heart. 
Bring God in front of your eyes. If you want to love Him, you have to do that. This also looks like, to love God looks like obeying what He has said. So at times this year, when you choose to be patient and kind, guess what's happening in that moment? You are displaying your love for God. When you say no to sin, because that sin is against God's nature, guess what? You are loving God in that moment. When we have such a delight in God, when our love of God grows and grows, and we begin to say yes to these good things, we say no to these sinful things, and we begin to love and serve each other, guess what? That is love. We're going to talk a lot about this next week when we talk about worshiping God, but one of the ways we love God and one of the ways that we actually love people is by worshiping God. But for now, loving God looks like putting our attention on Him and letting Him become our biggest treasure and our greatest beauty. And what is our biggest treasure in our lives? What is it? If we were to make a list, the things that we prioritize or we work for, or we stay up at night thinking about or being worried about, right? Is it money? Is it time? Is it goals? What are the things that we dwell on that we think are going to satisfy us? Things that deserve our affection, right? This should be, should be God. I pray for myself. I pray for us that there will be nothing so beautiful and so, so grand and so wonderful as God, but it's not just any God. Again, it's your God. He is a good God. So when you love Him, you know He's never going to let you down. He's your God already. You don't have to work to get Him. We look at our last year, maybe, and we make new resolutions. You know, I wish I would eat better or work out better or do this better. better. God already knows. He's already taken inventory of us, has He not? He's omniscient. He knows all things. And yet he's still on January 1st, even after all of my failures last year, he says, I am your God, Troy. He's reliable. He's unchanging. He's full of grace, full of power and comfort for our afflictions. And the best part is that this Lord is ours. And if we think about these thoughts about God, if we put God and who he is before our eyes, our heart is going to warm up continually to him. And next week, we're going to look at this glorious passage in Revelation next week that should open our eyes to the beauty of God that will make us love him more. But we at CVBC... We're going to pray that we are marked by how beautiful and joyful we find God. I, I, don't, I really don't know how to describe it, but I pray that when people enter our gatherings, they can feel and sense the love that we have for God. That we're not just mustering up and putting on a face, but it's pouring forth out of us. And this begins individually with us every day. When we pursue God, right? We pursue our, our hobbies or our friends or our careers. We have time and energy. But what about God? When we come here after a full week of us being devoted to God, then this becomes an outflow, an overflow together of the beauty of God. And we get to sing out and pray to him and hear his word and all of that because of love. And I pray that this church will be marked clearly by its love. So if you want an application point here, will you ask the Lord every day in prayer, 
to increase your love for him. Right? We have so many requests to pray for, I know. But have you ever asked the Lord, Lord, help me love you more? Ask him to do it, and he will. And what that's going to mean, again, only pray this if you want this. Because the more you ask Lord, the Lord for your love for him to increase, guess what's going to happen? He's going to show you that sin you need to quit. And are you actually going to quit it? He's going to show you, hey, keep praying to me. And praying is hard, is it not, people? Reading your Bible is hard. Serving that person is really hard. But the Lord's going to keep bringing it to our attention because we're asking to love him more. And I think if we pray, Lord, help me love you more with all my heart and my soul and my mind, the Lord would love to answer that prayer. So pray that every day this month and see what happens. To be so devoted to God. But the the last question to ask of this passage is, what does it mean to love people? Second great commandment, you shall love the neighbor as yourself. Now, we don't have time, nor are we in this passage, but by neighbor, Jesus means beyond your residential neighbor. He means those people, and especially those people that you wouldn't normally naturally love. I go read the story about the great Samaritan if you want some insight on this. But Jesus says to love your neighbor, love people who you are around as yourself. And that's the hard part. Because no one loves Troy better than Troy. Okay? I am naturally bent to look out for Troy. Right? I go, how, how can this work out best for me? How can my time be more valuable? What can I get out of this situation? Right? We think through these kind of self-love lenses. But loving others like Jesus called us is to have a deep and sacrificial love for others like we have for ourselves. We so sacrificially love ourselves, do we not? But instead of thinking, what can Troy get out of this? I should be thinking, what can I do for them? Instead of thinking, I am so busy, I don't have time for this. We think, my time exists to love people. How can I give people my time? That's so polar opposite of how we naturally are. And friends, this deep sacrificial love is only possible if you have Jesus. Philippians 2, right? He emptied himself. He loved others. He laid down his comfort and his life and actually took on pain to save us from our sins. Friends, loving people is costly to our selfishness, and we know this because... God loving us cost him his own son, and yet what? It brought salvation and it brought joy. So we should be quick to sacrifice and deeply care for others because this is the way of Christ and Christianity. The more we love others, guess what happens too? Our love for God grows. Why? Because God is love. 1 John 4, 7. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If God in his nature of what makes God, God, if that's love, then when we actually love others, we are loving God at the same time. 
So not only do we get to show other people that they matter to us and to God, we actually end up loving God even more. That's a win-win for Christianity. People see God's love and we get to love God. So again, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at how we as individuals, even as the church, can love people. But right now, walk out of this room thinking, who can I love sacrificially? Who deserves my time? How can I care for someone? And with this lens, with the lens of Christ, everything seems to change. And boy, what an attractive and holy and biblical church we will be if we are laying down our lives for one another. Let this be a place where there is patience and there's kindness, where we are quick to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, where we give gladly to another, where we're not too busy to lay down our lives and to love. Let this be a, peace, a place of deep community. And this is quite a task for us. We're sinful, inconsistent, weak people. And yet the Lord says, love me with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And yet we have the Holy Spirit in us who can make this happen. We have a church community, brothers and sisters, who are going to be doing this with us, alongside of us. And this church can be one who actually fulfills the commands of Jesus. So I want to finish here by, by praying and asking the Lord to help us be a church who deeply loves Him and loves others. I want this Lord, I want the Lord to take this study of this passage, this, this sermon in the next few weeks and drive this home in our hearts where it's not just a branding or a decorative sign, but it becomes our heart and our reality. So again, I want to ask you to join us this month as even as individually as you pray at home. Will you pray this not only for yourself that you'll love God and love people, but will you pray that your church will love God and love people. Maybe commit five minutes a day in January to doing this for our church. We will love God and love others. And again, I think the Lord will love to answer that prayer. Three more weeks of this study, but let's pray right now. Father, we ask you, we beg you to have this church to be a place that fulfills your commandments. We as a church want to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. What our love for you, our affections, our feelings for you be so strong and always advancing and never going backwards, never being neutral, never being stale. Help us find you so beautiful and find you so excellent. And let this church, what our love for others, be so strong. Let it become our default position. Our first response to be to lay down our lives for each other. Let us love one another so well in this building. Let us love those outside of this building so well. Let us be a church where loving God and loving others is not just a tagline, but it's our reality in Jesus. Jesus, we praise you for your love for us. We praise you that you would die for us. And you will always love us no matter what we do. In the name of Jesus we pray.
Amen.